So here we go. Let's take time to get into the Word. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we've been on a journey through these letters since last fall. I went back and said, when did we actually begin this? I know there were some days where we had Easter and Mother's Day and other things like that. And so we didn't always focus since we had guest speakers. Uh, but we've been doing this since last September. Last September. And today we are going to conclude our journey through these letters that Paul writes called Corinthians. You may think, well, Pastor, correct me if I'm wrong, you were on chapter 10 for two weeks last week, and you're going to cover 11 through 13 in one sermon? Yeah, I believe in miracles, but that might be a stretch for you, Pastor. So um, we're going to get there. Um, and uh, Because I think there's a, there's a summation of what Paul is writing in 11, 12, and 13 that happens right in the middle of chapter 12. So we're going to be there uh, and look at that together. So I'm going to invite you to turn your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's going to be on page 1028 if you're using our Pew Bible. By the way, if you do not have a copy of God's Word that you can read and relate to, please consider that our gift to you, not only for this moment, but to carry it with you. It's yours. It's our great pleasure to provide that for you. It will also be on the screen, but let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word together. It says this, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let us pray. Lord God, today as we dive into Your Word, that You penned at the hands of the Apostle Paul, but inspired by Your Holy Spirit, we recognize that this comes from Your authority, it comes from Your grace, and it meets our need. So Lord, help us to not miss the gravity of what happens here as we study Your Word together, as we worship You through hearing and knowing You. And Lord, I pray that in this moment You would teach us all. That You as the Holy Spirit that has promised to be with us and never leaves us would be that who instructs us as we come to know You more. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Paul was talking about the sufficiency of grace. That he had prayed for God to do something. You may wonder where this comes from. He's, he's asking God to remove something from his life that he sees as insufficient. And yet God overwhelmingly tells him that his grace is sufficient for him in his time of need. Let's think about those words real quick. Sufficiency and insufficiency. Those can be beautiful words and ugly words. How many of you, well maybe you don't want to raise your hand, but you can certainly acknowledge it where you are in your heart and in your life. You've gotten that letter in the mail or you've gotten that email or that call or that text notice, insufficient funds. Man, that feeling of sinking just stinks, doesn't it? 
hopefully, you know, you're not in that place at this point, uh, but I realize that people come from different walks of life, and so that may be a reality of your life. And seeing that insufficiency, that there's not enough sufficient funds to make it to the next payday or the next month or the next day, it can be a sinking, defeating place in our life. Maybe you've gotten the insufficiency when it comes to a grade. You ever had that class? You took that quiz or that test and it came, big, came with that big old flagpole on it. The big red F with a circle and the, the frowny face. Okay, maybe you didn't get the frowny face. Maybe you're about participation words. Maybe you didn't get the star sticker. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, uh, that's a sinking feeling. Especially when you're in grade school and you have to t- carry that back home to mom and dad for them to sign it and say, hey, look at this. Insufficient. Insufficient. Maybe you've gotten the insufficiency when it comes to an evaluation for your job. That moment where you were up for a promotion, but something glaring came up and said that your skills or your talent or your personality just was insufficient for that promotion or that next level. Gut-wrenching, right? Gut-wrenching. Maybe a little more personal. Maybe you've gone to the doctor and something about your health came up insufficient. Or you're with someone that you love and it did. It's a wrecking feeling that your health is not what it's supposed to be. It's not making the grade. It's not doing what it needs to do. Maybe a little more personal. Some big moment in your family, there's this brokenness and and devastation and all of a sudden you see this insufficiency. What was supposed to work out, what was supposed to be the natural order of things, what was supposed to be just the way things are meant to be isn't so. Insufficiency. It's a big word. But we, can you see the relevancy of it? Can you see how we've all had to wrestle with that? How we've all had to deal with it? And these are just on personal matters. We're going to see, according to Scripture, there's a big insufficiency that comes up that we don't make the bill. We don't pay the bill. We don't make the grade when it comes to measuring our life and our holiness and and our righteousness against God's standards. There's a big red alarm, circle F, failure, not because of a few minor flaws, but complete zero insufficiency. Now, why do I bring that up? Where does that bring us when it comes to the text that we're in. Paul has been writing this letter to have the church to open their eyes to see the greatness and the value and the immensity and the love and grace that Jesus has provided. And how because of that, if this is true, if Jesus is indeed who He says He is, and He has done what He has promised to do and and has fulfilled that through the cross then we owe Him our all. Because the insufficiency of where we are is taken away in the sufficiency of who He is and what He has done for us. But when we miss out on that, we can get so distracted and so off course and end up slumbering and falling lazily into a pattern that really does not equal much value. It really doesn't put to work that which God has entrusted and invested in us. And Paul, dealing with some of those skirmishes, some of those issues that were happening in the church at Corinth, a church that he loved, 
uh, people he loved. Now, I want you to understand, when we say the word church here, we're not just talking about, oh, it was this building and this, this location. Uh, no, it was the people. That's what the church is. It's an ecclesia and it's an assemb- assembly. It's, a, it's a, a, a pattern of people grouped together, redeemed by God. And he loved these people. And his heart was aching over the correspondence he's writing before in these, these letters back and forth around A.D. 56. He's a thousand miles away and he's writing this church that he dearly cares about and he's trying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, to help them, to wake them up and have their eyes open to see this. And in the midst of all of this, it gets not just a matter of business transactions. I want you to know when you read this letter, it is not just some transactional letter that you've missed out on your contractual obligations. Your promissory is, is in default. It's not that kind of letter that's happening here. There are some, some guidelines, there's some practical details that Paul handles throughout the letters of, of 1 and 2 Corinthians, but in it, it is very personal. It's a letter from the heart. And not only is it a letter because Paul personally is invested with the people here, but it's personal because Paul's heart is breaking on how the relationship has been fractured between him and the church all because of some of the things that's going on. And Paul presents it and shows the ineffectiveness and he shows the insufficiency of some of the arguments. So my aim today, as we go through this text, as we see the aim of the text, is for us to see the complete sufficiency of grace that comes from the complete supremacy of Christ. We're going to see that divine grace is indeed greater than any self-reliance, self-way, self-awareness, self-fulfillment, self-help, self-empowerment, self-improvement thing that we could ever look at. It just is. We're going to see that. So first of all, we're going to go back before Paul talks about the sufficiency of of grace. We're going to go back to chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 1 through chapter 12. And we're going to see, first of all, the insufficiency of man. See, before we ever really get clued in to how sufficient Christ is for our deepest and greatest needs, we've got to see the actual place that we find ourselves without Him. Or attempts to come alongside Him and say, I got this, but Jesus, when I need you, just reach out and help a brother, okay? We've got to understand how ineffective, how insufficient we are. And this doesn't mean that we're going to try to kick people down. But this is what Paul found. First of all, he found an insufficiency to accomplish all that he desired based on his own skills. And we find that too. Paul says, I I wish you would put up with me and, and, and I want you to know I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous with a godly jealousy because I promise this is what God called me to do, to present you in marriage to Him. To present you as blameless to Jesus. One who's been redeemed by Jesus. That's, that's the goal of, of being a leader of a church to, to say, I am held accountable for this. But Paul is saying, apparently that is not happening on my ability. Apparently that is not happening on my skill. No matter how much I I want this to happen, no matter how much I've taught for this to happen, no matter how much I've served for this to happen, when he was in Corinth, he didn't even take a dime. That's how much he cared about getting this church to where they needed to be. And yet, 
with all the problems that we've addressed over this last year, looking through the, the letter to the church at Corinth, Paul's saying, apparently, on my merit, it just ain't going to happen. No matter how jealous and loving I am for you, no matter how much my calling is for you and to the Lord, I have an insufficiency to accomplish that. And not only do I have an insufficiency, but you have an insufficiency. He says, because apparently, as good as God has given His work and His grace to the church, the church can still be manipulated and deceived. Did you hear that? As much as Jesus has paid for the church on the cross, as much as He has given, it is still absolutely possible for the church to find itself in a place of insufficiency because they are able to be manipulated and deceived. How has that happened? In verses 3-15, through 15, Paul makes the case of the ways the church is being deceived over and over again. He says, first of all, you're being deceived by another gospel. Another gospel, as if there is another gospel. He says, if a person comes to you and preaches another Jesus, whom we didn't preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, well, you put up with that splendidly. You enjoy that. That's lovely. That's enticing. To hear another gospel, the one that's counterfeit. That if you just work hard enough, you can pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. And God, He just helps those who help themselves. That's a counterfeit gospel. That if everything is just organized and you're there, God is obliged to bless you. No, that's a counterfeit gospel. God just, if you're just really happy and at peace and contentment, that's God's blessing and you're covered by His grace. No, that's a false gospel. If, if you just fulfill all this law code and your life looks holy and utmost to the nth degree, then you have fulfilled your righteousness. Interesting, the Jesus that's in the Scripture, you're not. Someone else is teaching you another Jesus that's not there. You follow after that. Or, or another spirit long after these things that are not a part of the church. So the church must be careful that when they hear the Gospel, it stays true to the Gospel. You're deceived and manipulated there's an insufficiency now because you can miss out on, on, on a different gospel that takes the legs out from what the Bible has provided, but also by counterfeit leaders. 5 through 13 talks about this. And Paul says, um, apparently there's some super apostles out there. The guys with a title. The guys with a name. He says, I'm not like them. I, I'm untrained in public speaking. But I'm certainly not untrained in knowledge. It says, we try to make everything clear to you as best as we could. And we didn't commit a sin, we don't think, by being humble, not trying to self-aggrandize who we are or make much of ourselves. We wanted you to be exalted to the Lord. That's why He preached the Gospel to Him free of charge. Even though He Himself admitted a worker's worth His wages. He says, I began robbing other churches, if you will, because I didn't take anything from you. I made sure other churches provided for my ability to be on mission with you. 
not really robbing other churches, but he's taking the example here. That's what we do when we send missionaries. We know that when missionaries go to a location, there's no church established that it's going to require our aid and support for them to be there. He says, when I was present with you in need, I I didn't burden anyone. Since the brothers who came from Macedonia, they supplied my needs. Other people supplied that. And I've kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way. And as the truth of Christ is in me, I know him. This boasting of mine will not be stopped that I'm, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm continuing to do this. But there are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Those are people that live by a counterfeit gospel. In other words, they don't know Jesus themselves, but yet are presenting a false Jesus. And says, and no wonder this kind of thing happens. And no wonder it's so easily to be deceived. He says this, for Satan disguises himself as a demonic, evil, oozing dragon, as a ravaging Halloween monster, as a sneaking, conniving serial killer. No, as an angel of light, which would look as just that seems like the most sensible thing in the world. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. In other words, they're trying to live according to their works. They will be judged according to their works. And heaven forbid anybody be judged according to their works. Why? Insufficiency. Insufficiency. But not only this, are they manipulated and deceived by counterfeit gospels and counterfeit leaders. They're manipulated by counterfeit deities. Verses 14 through 15. This is all coming back to something greater when it comes to the fact that this is from Satan himself seeking worship. There's an insufficiency in us. Even in the, within the walls of the church, there can be. That's why it's so necessary that we take everything back to God's Word and say, does it say this? And, and not the whole thing. I know some people can take a, a little smidge of Scripture and they can blow it up to something that it is not. Does it fall into the full context and direction of the entirety of God's Word? That's why it's so important that we know God's Word and invest in it together. Not just have a snippet of Scripture faith, but a knowledge of what God is and His grace has provided for us so that we will be complete. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. That His Word is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, for training in righteousness, for correcting, for rebuking, so that the man or woman of God may be adequately equipped and complete for every good work. That's why we need it. Paul says there's an insufficiency in man, not only in his own desires to be accomplished by his own skill, not only in the church that was easily to be manipulated and deceived, but also in the church and and even Christians in staying humble. That even as people that were following Christ, we have a lack of humility at times. Paul talks about this, this bumbling that goes over and over again. He says, let no one consider me a fool, even though I've been humble among you. He says, if you do, at least accept me as a fool so that I can boast a little. In other words, if you're going to think I'm foolish, well, let me just use that foolish title to do foolish things and speak about foolish 
accomplishment. He says, what I'm saying in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but as it were foolishly. I'm not speaking here as God would want me to speak, but I'm speaking in His direction to say this is what foolishness looks like. So many of you boast according to the flesh. I will also boast. For you being so wise, gladly put up with fools, let me be a fool to you. In fact, you put up with someone who enslaves you. And if someone exploits you, and if someone takes advantage of you, and if someone is arrogant towards you, or if even someone slaps you in the face, and I say this to your shame, we've been too weak for that apparently. We've tried to be humble, but you are accepting this atmosphere. Apparently, you're chasing after that which is arrogant and that which is conniving. You celebrate such an air about people. We exalt people like that. We consider them heroes. We say they've got great confidence. They're born leaders. Even though some of the things they do are just a slap in the face. The church is called to focus on character and humility. And yet when we don't, it shows our insufficiency. And it shows the insufficiency of what we put value on. And Paul says, I'm going to label out some things that are really, you would probably consider this meritous endeavors, but they are not. He's going to say, if anyone wants to do this, Whatever anyone dares to boast, I am talking foolishly. This is verse 21 and 22. I also dare. Let's go through a checklist, if you will. Are these people Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I feel like I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one. With far more labors, more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death, five times, five times I have received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. And three times I have been shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my own people and dangers from the Gentiles who are not my people and dangers from the city and and dangers in the wilderness and and dangers at sea and and dangers from false brothers and and toil and hardship and and I have had many sleepless nights and and hunger and thirst and, and I've often gone without food and cold, without clothing and not to mention the other things. There's a daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. And so who is weak? And I am not weak. Who, who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. Paul goes on to say this. He says, if, if you're talking about value and what you can achieve, I want to tell you this is what I've done. But I'm going to point out not my, my degree of intellect, not my degree of, of servitude, but I'm going to talk to you about the fact that in serving Christ, it's going to require suffering. And even all of that, I count as rubbish. That's what Philippians 3 tells us. And Paul's writing the church, I consider it all a loss. It's all insufficient 
in comparison to Jesus. And yet, how many people look and they say, I am not insufficient. I'm very much sufficient. I'm even owed by God because of what I've had to go through. I'm owed by God because of what I've done. I'm owed by God because of who I am. Doesn't He know my family and what they did? This is all shows how we turn to things that are insufficient. There are castles made of sand. So what are we to do? If that's just how we're left, this, this letter ends on just a most completely sour note. But looking ahead, Paul says there's something sufficient though. And it comes by the hands of Jesus. It comes by His love and His grace. Paul wrote about his ongoing sufferings and said, even this place where there was a, there was a thorn in my flesh to, that was given as a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. We don't know what this is. People have speculated. Some have thought that maybe he was going blind and, and, and the ability to write one of his ways of contributing was, was going to be taken away from him. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. But what he does is he prays. He pleads, he says, with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. See, there's something that's immensely sufficient about God's grace. And if our hope is built on anything less than that, we're building it on something insufficient. But the sufficiency of grace that comes from Jesus is something that comes because of His power that is perfected. We'll get to that in a moment. But what does this sufficient grace do for us? If all these other things are insufficient, how does sufficient grace help us in our time of need? Why would Paul say, I will gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me? Because he recognized that in God's grace, no matter what he has faced, it is something that overcomes weaknesses. Where our frailties fall short, God's grace more than overcomes. His grace more than overcomes. Where we face insults and people slander our name or they try to push back out of the direction we're going, God's strength enables us to stand firm with confidence. When we have hardship and our labors were difficult and our thoughts will make us have sleepless nights and sometimes take us to places that are difficult. God's grace and power shows that He does more work than we ever possibly could. When we face persecutions, when I say persecutions, we talked about this this morning in our life group. I don't mean when someone doesn't say Merry Christmas. When the day of persecution comes where people disappear in the middle of the night and they don't know where they've taken them. Like happens right now. In this day and age, this is not something that happened 1,700 years ago. This is stuff that happens right now in the nation of China. When people are executed and beheaded on beaches in North Korea, this kind of stuff happens now all for the sake of the name of Jesus. Because they chose and dared to trust in His name rather than something that is insufficient. That, my friends, is persecution. Having an insult is not a persecution. 
Read through the Bible and you will see what persecution looks like. But even in that day, even in that day, and even today, there are people that will lay it on the line and says, even if I perish, I will not deny His name. Even if it costs me, I'm willing to follow through. See, they have trusted in the sufficiency of grace. And, and, and Paul says, man, I've been beaten. I have faced persecution, and yet I will gladly, gladly talk about my weaknesses because it shows that this was not in me. It was in Him. It helps us to face difficulty. See, the sufficiency of grace helps us in all these real-life relevant situations that all of us have gone through. The breakdowns, the breakthroughs, the, the, the debts and, and, the, and, the, and the disruptions. It helps us face every single one. Because God's grace is more than sufficient. In fact, Paul writes it's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's the beauty of that sufficiency and grace. And that's just what it does here. The more immense part of the sufficiency of grace is the gospel. The gospel that declares the power of God, the character of God, who saw the offensiveness of sin, the insufficiency of our eternity hanging in the balance, and yet lovingly provided us Jesus Himself to go to the cross in our place and offer us this graceful gift, this incredibly overabundantly sufficient gift of grace, and, and ask us to trust what we will do with Jesus knowing that eternity hangs in the balance. He gave this to us so that we'd be rescued from darkness and into light. We would be rescued from death into life. We would be rescued from cursing into a blessing. We would be rescued from enslavery to liberty. From hell to heaven. This is what the sufficiency of grace does, not only here, but for all eternity. And in the sufficiency of grace, we see, last of all, the supremacy of Christ. Paul says all of this is not to point me back to those insufficiencies to where I'm starting to say, well, look at me, I have great skill that Jesus can come to me. Not to point me back to say, oh, I earned this gospel, or I did this so Jesus was obliged, or to be a manipulative leader, or to point to a counterfeit deity, or to move towards pride and, 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 and boasting and arrogance, or, or to try to build his life on these, these meritous endeavors but to point back to the supremacy of Christ. That's why he says, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power, so that Christ's name may reside in me. For even in my weakness, I declare that my Jesus is strong. And here's why I want to ask you, church. Is your life you feel the Holy Spirit examining you, is it trying to hoard up and build itself on these insufficient areas? Or is it saying, God, help me consider that as rubbish in comparison to the grace that is greater. Help me see the sufficiency that is there. And help me declare the supremacy of Christ. May that be the echo of my life. May that be the echo of the legacy of what you have done for me. May my life declare, like the song, the marvelous grace of our loving Lord, a grace that exceeds all our sin and our guilt, 
For yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt, dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. So marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Oh, grace, grace. It's God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. It's God's grace. Marvelous grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. The impression that Paul wanted to leave and was moved to write to the church at Corinth was them to have their eyes open, to be just an open declaration that Jesus saves, that grace is sufficient, and the supremacy of Christ is worth giving it all for, because He gave it all for us. That is the charter and the course set for the church that is awake and alive. Will it be ours? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today I pray that our hope is built on, on nothing less than You. And God, today, for those that have been seeking after insufficient avenues of help and hope, of life and liberty and love, God, help them see the weakness and the frailty and the inability of those avenues. And God, help them trust in You. For the believer in here that has been struggling with where to keep their focus and their faith set, God, turn them to the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of grace. And Lord Jesus, in this moment, as we take the time to really respond to who You are, what You're doing, and what we need, and how we must trust, God, I pray You would be our only resting place. Help us respond appropriately to that. In Jesus' name, amen.